I'll have breakfast first before I knock you down. I like to cry. How dare you interfere? Welcome to Avant Bard, a podcast where two theater nerds explore the highest highs and the lowest lows of works inspired by that upstart crow himself. You do a bit now? I held up a card that says Ho William Shakespeare. My name is Matthew James Marquez and I use he him pronouns. And my name is Megan Charlo and I use she her pronouns. Before we get started with this week's episode, I just want people to know that we have new merchandise in our Tee Public store and also a website. So you can check that out at bit.ly slash avantbard, and a link to the merch will be at the bottom of the homepage. Last time on Avant Bard, Megan, we talked about a film from 2021, which is our most recent film that we've discussed on this podcast. But now, we're going to discuss the earliest film we have covered. So we went from the newest film, which was black and white, to the oldest film, which of course was black and white. Yes. Today, we are here to talk about a 1931 silent film from China called A Spray of Plum Blossoms, or Yi Jian Mei. I have butchered that entirely, most likely. I do not speak the language. A Spray of Plum Blossoms is an adaptation of William Shakespeare's Two Gentlemen of Verona, and was directed by Bu Wun Kang and produced by the Lianhua Film Company in 1931. So a lot of information I got for this film is from an article written in 2010 by Victoria Jashub for the San Francisco Silent Film Festival. So by 1930, Shanghai was a major international port, and the Western influence was felt all over in fashion, technology, and also in movies. Shanghai had a bustling film industry with over 53 theaters showing mainly Chinese-produced films. As with all media, films in China had to be particular in their politics, making sure to promote nationalism as well as the rising Communist Party, and it flip-flopped for what they were supposed to promote. So the director of Spray of Plum Blossoms, he was able to maintain a political balance throughout all of World War II, which good for him. <laughs> By keeping work, uh, you know, probably betraying his own ideologies in order to make films. I don't know this man. But if you had to flip one way or another, you probably were going Actually against... Actually followed one. Yeah. So a little bit of context for Shakespeare in China. He was a known entity, but his plays weren't published until around the mid-1920s, with Hamlet and Romeo and Juliet being the first ones to be published. So a play like Two Gentlemen of Verona is actually kind of a strange... They don't even make films of two gents in America and England. So this is an anomaly. So this interest in Western culture also shows itself in a spray of plum blossoms. The cards that show us what people are saying are written in both English and in Chinese, which allows us to enjoy this film. Thank you, whoever made that decision. 
because it definitely wasn't to show this film to Americans. It was just to be trendy it was with just, the times. Yeah, it's trendy Get that with that westernization. Yeah, it was a bit, Megan. It would have been like if you went to see an anime movie and they had both English and... You mean it's like when you listen to K-pop and they have English words in it? Yes, which I think should be done more in the opposite direction. Yeah. So as Marquez said, A Spray of Plum Blossoms is based on William Shakespeare's Two Gentlemen of Verona, a play that obviously we all know and love, so I'm obviously just going to skip giving it a summary. Well, wait, never mind. It turns out that nobody knows this play except for nerds, and a lot of nerds don't even like it. So, Two Gentlemen of Verona. There are two gentlemen of Verona. Their names are Valentine and Proteus. And Valentine's like, bye, I'm gonna go work for the Duke of Milan. And Proteus is like, okay, bye, I'm going to be in love with this woman named Julia. And then Valentine goes, oh wait, Proteus, you should totally join me. And he goes, ah, fine, but Julia. And then he goes and... Valentine's like, by the way, I'm in love with this Sylvia girl. And Proteus is like, oh, that's cool. I'm now in love with that girl. And he gets Valentine banished and then gets rid of the other suitor that likes Sylvia. And then he's like, Sylvia, you're gonna be mine. And meanwhile, Valentine is a bandit and he kidnaps Sylvia and uh, Julia comes and she's like, I miss my boyfriend, fiance. And she gets to become page to Proteus as he tries to woo Sylvia. And then he tries to force himself on Sylvia. And then Valentine's like, stop, you're better than this. And Proteus goes, you're right, I am. And everyone goes, yeah, Proteus is great. And then everyone ends up with the person they like. Except for Thurio, the side suitor who goes home alone. I don't know why I said all that, because we're basically going to say it right now, because this is a fairly direct adaptation. So it is widely considered to be one of William Shakespeare's first plays, and in my opinion, contains a lot of elements that kind of makes it like... He was trying stuff out, and then was like... (laughs) Let me refine this later. A girl dressing up as a page and helping the guy that she likes try to woo someone else. Yeah, and also various lovers. Also, the end is fucked. I'm gonna say it. The ending of this play is fucked. It's also really rushed. We'll get to it. I just want to talk about it for a little bit. Because it seems to imply... That the homosocial relationship between Valentine and Proteus is more important than the romantic relationship that Valentine has with Sylvia. I'm just saying to let us keep note of how this adaptation handles that weirdness. Because it's inherent in the text. Because you could, you could go like, it's 2022. We have to change the end of this. Yeah, but this was 1931, so they didn't. It's closer to where we are now than they were to Shakespeare's time. Yeah. Acting corner? If you've got one. Listen, I've got a little one, but not so little as to do a little music. Man, can you do a medium one? Ruan Lingyu 
also known as Lily Yuan, was a young actress from the golden age of cinema, and she was often called the Greta Garbo of China. She plays Julia in this film. They use the English names for the subtitles, but in the film, it is pronounced Hu Zhi Lu, which sounds kind of like Julia. I mean, it would, it's written as Hu Zhi It's not pronounced because no one says anything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I also want to take umbrage to calling someone the Greta Garbo of China. I understand that we have a Western view of the world, but it's like, they're different people. We could call Greta Garbo the Ruan Ling Yu of America. Yeah, why don't we? Ruan was often cast as a dramatic leading woman. So a comedic role like this film was actually probably a change of pace for her. She is the most dramatic of the women in this film, though, I would say. Yeah. Julia, because bad things happen to her. So she is unfortunately a case of a famous person dying very young. She took her own life at the age of 24. And that was, what, a a few years after this film? Yes. She was super young. Yeah, it was about four years after this film. And she took her own life amidst a bunch of horrid tabloids that were prying into her personal life, which wasn't doing too hot. So obviously the tabloids did not help her own self-image. Moving on, Jin Yan, also known as Raymond King, plays Valentine or Hulunting. You hear that one, Megan? Yeah. He was known as the Film Emperor or the Rudolph Valentino of China. Megan knows who Greta Garbo is, but she doesn't know who Rudolph Valentino is. I assume he's attractive. Yeah, he's kind of like the handsome debonair man who often plays people of color. Oh. It was the 1930s, Megan. Jin Yan starred in over 20 films and was noted in his lifetime for his dashing good looks. I just wanted to put him in there because they called him the Rudolph Valentino of China. And I, again, want to mention that Rudolph Valentino could be the Jin Yan of America. Yep. Anyway, that's all I have, Megan. All right, let's start the film. Ah, yes, two gentlemen of Verona, where all the world's a stage and men and women merely players. That's not where that's from. Says so in this film. It doesn't say no, so. No, Megan. The film starts with it, and since it's a two-gents film, I think that's deceptive. Megan, imagine if you were in the 1930s, and Shakespeare had only come into the public consciousness in, like, the last ten years. That's a great line. You might not know what it's from at all. Yeah, and you might be like, wow. Two-gents had some really good lines. Well, what I'm saying is... Why don't we just cherry pick the best bits from the worst plays? Because you know what? That monologue doesn't make any sense in that play. And as you like it, Megan? Yeah, no, we discussed it in the Kenneth Branagh episode we did. So I'm going to state it right here on Avant Bard. It doesn't matter if you use that monologue in anything else anymore. I am divorcing it from the play in my mind. What about life's adventure commences, college session terminates? I'm sure that just is an establishment of where we are. The night at the dormitory after the 15th Congregation of the Military Academy. 
So in this, Valentine and Proteus are military cadets. Makes sense. It is a respected position. Somewhat gentlemanly, I guess. Yeah, it makes 100% sense. And we're told that Valentine is a good soldier and Proteus is good with girls. I mean, that's kind of interesting because in the play we have no knowledge of him liking any girl ever before Julia. So that's definitely a decision to be made about his character. So like, oh, he's a player. Interesting choice. And under his books, in his briefcase, he has a bunch of pictures of many different women and perfume bottles. And people are like, oh, Proteus is going to marry 17 women. And then Valentine's upset by that because that's his friend. But anyway, Valentine tells him, stop focusing on girls and focus on war. Oh, also, Megan thought that perfumes were alcohol. Yeah, I thought it was booze. Why would he have bottles of perfume? Well, because he's a perfume general, Megan. Okay, and what's that? I don't know, because I tried looking it up, but no. The untranslated Chinese phrase might be a phrase, and we just don't know what it is, so we can't look it up. It also could be slang from 1931. True. So, we find out that Julia is Valentine's sister, and this is not in the play originally. No, she's just a chick. So that's a choice? I think it is established purely so that people aren't like, why doesn't Julia like Valentine? He's clearly... He's clearly way more attractive. Yes. She can't. That's her brother. Sorry. They made a huge mistake in casting the more attractive man as Valentine. I agree. Proteus should be more attractive because it should be more obvious why people are falling for him. Not to insult people by yeah. based on their looks, yeah. but it should be like Valentine is a good person and that makes it so that he's attractive. Whereas if Proteus is outwardly attractive, but a it's cruddy easier, person. Yeah, then it's easier for people to like him at first, and then he does stupid things, and then gets away with it because he's attractive. Yes, and I think that nothing is uglier than being a horrid person, and I think that attractive people who are bad people are ugly. Because I think ugliness doesn't come from without, it comes from within. And so if Proteus is more conventionally attractive outside, then you can hate him more later. Because you're like, oh, he's actually ugly because of his ugly actions. Yeah. Anyway, this guy is not that attractive, the guy who plays Proteus. He is, though, good at looking at girls through windows while they dance to themselves. He's a peeping Tom. But he's not good at it because he applauds and, like, everyone notices. And Valentine's like, that was weird of you. Eh, whatever, it's fine. I'm gonna leave. And I need you to remember my advice to not focus on women. Proteus does this thing where he flicks his nose. A lot. And I don't know what that means either. It has a meaning. Oh, I'm sure. I just think it means he's a snot-nosed guy. Yeah, I don't know. Valentine is going to Canton to assist the general there. And asks for a letter of recommendation from Proteus because Proteus is his nephew. That is not in the play. No, because They are not related. The Duke does not know who Proteus is. 
because that makes Sylvia and Proteus cousins, cousins which is, is weird. Bad. I I need so, to state that that's bad. I find it very interesting that into Gentlemen of Verona, it's not a military reason that Valentine's going. He's just going to like do paperwork or something for the Duke, like just be part of the Duke's court, kind just, of. He's basically just going on a rumspringa. But like for honor. An honor springa. Yeah, he's just going to like, ah, oh, yes, I must learn about the world and become a better person. Right. He's following honor, is what they say in the play. It's interesting to me that this time in China was filled with a lot of upheaval as the Communist Party was starting to try to take control. And it's really interesting that they've placed this in Canton because three, four years before this was a major uprising in Canton. I read in that same article that it was kind of making it akin to a Western where it's like, ah, yeah, we know about this time. Like, the frontier. Yeah. It's still like, we can set a rough and ready movie about people roughing it. People making sure that Canton doesn't get its own independence and stays part of China. So... Oh, one more thing, Megan. Yeah. Valentine asks Proteus in the original play to come with him. And it's the love for Julia that keeps him home in the original play. And in this, it's just, he doesn't want to join the army. Well, like, he wasn't invited. Yeah. It would just be really weird, honestly, if he went. Because he'd be like, yeah, I'm coming too. And the Duke would be like, who is this? I didn't agree to this. But anyway, back in Filmland, Valentine is like, Julia, you gotta meet my friend Proteus. He's that guy who was watching you through a window. She's like, I do not want to meet him. And she calls him a loafer. And then he makes them meet anyway because women can shut up. I don't know, man. (laughs) And of course, Proteus is instantly like, wow, I really like Valentine's sister. I'm going to write her a letter and give it to this servant. (laughs) And the servant is like, Cupid? I can't act like Cupid. I don't know who that is. And is very foolish, and I I don't know if this character is supposed to be Speed, who's Valentine's servant, because this is Valentine's servant, and they're a fool, but also they act like Lucetta, who's the one who tells Julia that she should be with Proteus. Anyway, so they get rid of a lot of the fool-type characters and side characters in this, and you know what? I like it. Good on them. I love fools, Megan. You know I'm a big fool fan. They're not good in this play. But that's because these are not witty fools. They're simple fools, which is kind of a shitty way to talk about the lower class and mentally disabled people. So let's move on from talking about simple fools. Yeah, so the servant who I don't think we ever get a name for. Is like, yeah, no, I can give the letter to Julia. We're good. Because, Megan, the joke is that she's too dumb to know who Cupid is. Yeah. Which is not a funny joke because... I thought you said we were moving on from this. I know, it's just... (laughs) I know, I know. Okay, I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. So she brings the letter to Julia, and Julia rips it up and yells at the servant, 
And then the servant leaves and Julia puts it all back together, which is exactly what happens in the play. I, I, good job. That's what happens. She feigns being mad and then she puts it together and is like, oh, it's from Love Wounded Proteus. Oh. And the servant's watching and she giggles and is like, oh, I see what's happening. So then we cut to a boat going away with Valentine on it. I just think it's very important. Oh, yeah. No, they were like, we're going to use a boat. We're going to do this whole thing. We're going to do this set. There's the moment in Titanic where they just wave at the people. Yeah, because that's what people used to do all the time. It was how... it, it was the most important thing it's on your schedule. It's important. It's entertaining. You get to see a big boat. The person might die. You don't know. They might run into an iceberg. You just don't no, know. No, that'll never happen. <laughs> Valentine entrusts Proteus with his sister, Julia. A bad move. I mean, for them, they're happy with it. Megan, this is why making them siblings also makes no sense, because I would not trust my friend from college with my sister. Also, what does that even mean? What? That he's entrusting Proteus with Julia right now. Like, he's not even gonna do any- He's gonna leave in, like, one scene. Who's going to take care of Julia then? Does it actually matter? No. No. Anyway, she starts crying and then Proteus doesn't want her to cry. And it's like, oh, please don't cry. And <laughs> she's like, no, I like to cry. And this starts a thing that we only get two occurrences of because the rule of threes doesn't matter. Where he tells her not to do something and she goes, I like that thing. Don't interfere. So in order to make her stop crying and get her to laugh, Proteus does a thing where he turns his hand into a duck? He hits his arm a bunch and manipulates it, and then it's like a bird or something. And oh boy. So funny. So funny. Julia loves it. Best thing she's ever seen. We cut to Canton. And Sylvia is introduced, and she is the general's daughter. Correct. She's the duke's daughter. Good job. She has the spirit of masculinity. Okay. I don't don't know why you said- Well, they introduce Julia as, like, the spirit of a maiden. But they don't. That's what they said. No, what I'm saying is on the title cards, they said she is, like, the epitome of a woman, and then they say Sylvia has the spirit of masculinity. However, I really do think that this film is progressive. Because Julia is portrayed as a modern city woman, which is in the 1930s. This is a new thing. She is from the city. She wears her hair in kind of like a Western style. She's not the reserved. She has opinions and passions and she yeah, she's not has the, emotions. She's like... not the stereotypical orientalist version of a demure Chinese woman. And that's probably because this was made. In China. But when we see Sylvia, even though she is from the country, not from the city where things are more progressive, she wears pants. That's because it's a military base, though. She wouldn't even be there if yeah, it she was. she would. China is actually has a surprising history of women being welcomed in the military and part of it. So showing them on screen like that wasn't new? I don't know about on screen, but like throughout Chinese history, women were not just like the Western countries had with like their nurses. Like, no, they were tacticians. I still feel comfortable saying it's progressive. So Sylvia's riding a horse and the horse is bad at it. 
or she's bad at riding it. I don't know. She drops a thing and Valentine picks it up and they meet eyes and they smile at each other. And then Valentine goes in to see her dad and he waits. He waits like two hours. So long. Like I've waited longer for that for a ride at a thing I paid to go to. Well, Megan, that's you. But since he waited two hours, he gets to see Sylvia through the glass door as she returns from her ride. Yeah, and then he just gets a job. Yeah, the Duke's like, hi, welcome, you're captain of the guard. Why would he make him wait that long? Just to, well, well because he's the general. Maybe he's just testing his patience. Oh. I mean, this guy sucks, oh, wait, the general yeah, sucks. Wait, didn't the card say, like, this is a place where patience is trained or something they, like that? The card does say that, yeah, so it so is a test. It is a little thing. Then we cut to the next scene, which is entitled The Daily Program. Which is just a bunch of horse riding. And it's just a, so much horse riding. And I was confused because I thought Proteus just showed up all of a sudden. But no, it's Thurio, that other guy who's rich, who likes Sylvia. But he looks a lot like Proteus. He they has, have the same mustache. That's the problem. They have the same facial hair. Or at least it looked like it from the old colorized version of the film that we found on YouTube. There's some horse jumping. Oh, they're like... No one could ever get their horse to jump over this one foot fence. And Valentine goes, I'll try it. And then he does it. And Thurio goes, I'll try it. And the horse is like, no, I'm not doing that. And then Thurio's like, I'll try it again. And then the horse is like, no, no. I'm still not doing it, man. I'm not letting you show off. That's that scene. The cards tell us that he who readily falls into love can hardly be a faithful lover. Who could this be about? That's Proteus. Yeah, so Proteus is like, wear a coat, and Julius is no, and she gets mad, and then he does the arm bird thing again, and she loves it. It's so funny, Megan. Every time, it's such a hit. I would complain if it wasn't so funny every time. And then their beautiful joy is interrupted by a note from Valentine that's something... So, okay, guys, we watched this on YouTube. But, like, one-sixth of the subtitles. The screen was just cut off, so, like, we couldn't read it. And so there's something, like, a mandate. I, I don't, He hoped that Proteus would come on a plane. And, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry we didn't get the uh, all-region DVD released by Cinema Epoch as a package disc with Shi Dong Shan's Two Stars in the Milky Way released on September 11th, 2007, Always Remember. So he agrees. He's like, okay, Julia, I'm gonna go. And then he gives her a ring, and it's like, I'll never forget you. And then she gives him a ring, and it's like, samesies. I'm sad that we didn't get the scene where Proteus is like, Dad... My friend wants me to go with see the Duke, but I don't know. And he goes, son, I insist that you go. And he goes, okay, bye. Great job, Shakespeare. Ooh, mwah. Such an important character Antonio is. I will say, Two Jets has the least named characters in all of Shakespeare's I plays. I feel like 12 of them are unnecessary. You could have this play be eight people, and I think it would be fine. Back in Canton, Sylvia's watching Valentine lead marches outside, and she apparently really thinks that she's like a plum flower, like a blossom, like a, a spray of plum blossoms, perhaps. So she's got this little pin of a little plum blossom, and Thurio comes in, and he's like, hey, babe, I'm gonna talk to you. 
can I have that pin? And she's like, for some reasons, I cannot give it to you. (laughs) The reasons are one reason. It's Valentine. She's giving it to Valentine instead. And then Thario goes, what? Valentine's got the pin? So in the play... Around this point, Valentine and Thurio have this, like, really witty banter back and forth, and since this is a silent film, you really can't do that, because you'd just be cutting so much between image and cards with words that it just doesn't work, but, like, it's so good. Megan, I do want to bring something up. What? It is wild that Shakespeare's plays, which would have been, for the most part, presented to individuals as presentational works made by characters and not two characters talking to one another as though they were people because that's just not how theater was viewed back then. So really, Shakespeare plays are more 100% about the words being said. Yeah. Whereas this is And it's so interesting that works of Shakespeare weren't coming to China until like 11 years before this film came out. Yeah. Megan, it's more like six years. And it's already like, okay, well, we're going to take this lesser known one and we're going to do a version of it where we don't use the words, but we're just using the plot and get as much of it across as we can. And I'm really curious what that feels like to someone who's not familiar with the play. This works on its own as a story. Yes. With their changes. Like any Shakespeare play can work alone on a story if you change things. That's kind of the point, but... It's strange because, like, we're always going to see it and compare it to two gents. And I'm wondering if there are how many people there are that are just like, oh, yeah, no, it's a spray of plum blossoms. The end. Or we're like that. I will say, though, I have seen stage versions of this play that have made less sense than this silent film. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing about this film. It's two hours long, but that's mainly because it was the 30s. And if you watch it at, like, 1.5 speed, it's a fast romp. You miss nothing. You got to pause to be able to read some of the cards. But... Because they're cards, that's fine. You they, can pause it. They cut all the junk, and they, they just clip through the important stuff. And I appreciate that. It was a godsend when we found out how to speed it up on YouTube. <laughs> yes. So, Valentine and Sylvia are obviously a couple now because of the pull pin thing. And... They exchanged a favor. And they write a poem together. About plum blossoms. And they name it. I'm assuming it's a spray of plum blossoms because it looked at least on the card like what the title of the film looks like. So I'm assuming. I do also think that it's very interesting because this obviously does not occur in the original play. But they're essentially finishing a sonnet together. Sure. Like, it's a very Romeo and Juliet feeling thing where, because one of them started the poem and the other finished it. And I have no idea what the poem said because that is not translated. The Proteus arrives by plane. He's a regular aviator. It's in like a biplane and he's just like, hey. I feel like an eagle. That's what the card said. Yeah. And then he is like, wow, my cousin Sylvia, you're so hot now. I barely recognized you. You look like an angel. I think we here in Avant Bard need to make something readily clear. Uh, we don't like this incest? Don't love your cousin. Not that way. Also, in the play, at this point, Proteus is well aware of the fact that Valentine is in love with Sylvia. 
and I don't feel like they ever talk about it in the film. And there are a few moments where it seems like Proteus is surprised by how close Valentine is to Sylvia. And that is strange. So anyway, they go to the general's headquarters where they eat dinner. And Sylvia's like, why can't Valentine eat with us? Because he's already at another party being the representative of your father, Sylvia. And then, in order to cheer Sylvia up, Proteus does the duck hand thing. He does, and she loves it. (gasps) This is no longer funny. It is heartbreaking. How dare you? But it's okay, Valentine's here. And then Proteus and Thurio are like, what the heck? It's almost like Sylvia likes him. Yeah, that's supposed to be obvious by now. So the card tells us that in a battle for love, the weaker party is always obliged to seek for help. Which obviously means Thurio needs help because he is the weakest of these three. So he goes to this guy named Mr. Lee, who we've never really met before, and I don't know where he stands in this whole hierarchy. But in the play, Thurio goes to Proteus. Uh, yeah, I think so. But that's stupid, because it's obvious in this, I think, that Proteus likes her, which is a weird choice as well. So Mr. Lee goes to the general and is like, Thurio should really be granted Sylvia's hand. And the general says, I'm going to ask her first if she wants that, which is pretty sweet. And then he's like, but I will give Thurio the commission of superintendent of the military. Okay, I gotta say, this general... He just throws out job offers. He's just like, oh, you're a rich guy superintendent. I should be his friend. Was he even a cadet in the military at all? Don't know. Like, we got this brand new cadet who's now a leader as well. And then this rich guy comes in and now he's superintendent. Anyway, Sylvia's like, I don't love Thurio. And the general's like, but doesn't he love you? Also, it would be really good for us if, you know, you just did this. It's so funny that the general's like, well, I gotta ask her. I gotta have her input. And then he's like, oh, that's your input? That's not the answer I wanted. It's bad input. So then Valentine is like, get Proteus to talk to the general. The general's his uncle, according to this film. He'll totally listen and then make him say no to Thurio. And what does Proteus do when this is brought up to him? He wiggles his eyebrows and licks his lips like a villain? Yeah, he just goes like... (laughs) He's the most suspicious-looking character. And I know it's because it's a black-and-white 30s silent film. Yeah, but but also, (laughs) the whole part about Proteus is that he's changeable. Like, the name Proteus comes from Protean which means changeable. Like, okay. And he's the same guy. Like, he doesn't... We don't see enough of Proteus being a social chameleon. So here's my problem with Proteus in this. I mean, Proteus is terrible in both. Yes. But in the play, Proteus does have dimensions. Yeah, because he can't really help himself. Yes. The first start of that dimension is he's like, I am a scholar. I don't care about women. But he's met Julia and he's like, I can't focus. I can't do anything else. I'm so in love with her. This is unlike me. And then when he gets to Canton, well, when he gets to Milan in the play and he's like, wow, I actually think I like Sylvia. He has a moment where he's like, this is wrong. Do I only like her because of Valentine's love for her? Like, is it because of how much he holds her up and I'm seeing her now through his eyes? Like, I feel bad about this. That's my best friend. What am I doing? 
and he is unsure. He has a whole monologue where he weighs what he's going to do and if he's going to betray his friend for the sake of his love for Sylvia. And then he makes the wrong decision. And then he makes the wrong decision. But he has a moment of hesitation. Well, in this film, he just goes, oh, yeah, I'll talk to the general. Oh, by the way, general, drop of a hat. I'm immediately going to say that Valentine was going to steal away Sylvia and you need to get rid of him. It's like, we could have him killed. No, no, no wait, wait. Nope, nope, that would look bad. Uh, how about just banish Ed? They're like, we're going to court-martial him for seduction. And also Proteus is like, no, wait, that'll make your family look bad. Because your daughter got seduced, victim blamey as hell. But yeah, so they say it's treason and he's banished. And obviously, Sylvia's like, what the heck is going on? Because it makes no sense. No sense. And you know what's even weirder? The fact that news of this is on headlines back at home where Julia sees it. Yeah, this doesn't make any sense. This is the most huge leap of logic. In the play, Julia just goes... I miss Proteus, the guy I love. I'm going to go and see him, whether people think that's right of me to do or not. And I think that's better. That's cooler. Like, why not? And in the play, she dresses as a page from the start because she's like, I'm going to dress up like a man so that people don't stop me because I'm a woman traveling on my own. Yeah, sounds great. Come on. Maybe it's because women could travel on their own back then. In 1931. I mean, she could still do the thing of showing up for that reason, though. They could keep where she dresses later. I don't like her reason for coming, being that some guy getting fired made headlines back where she's at. But she gets there. She gets to Canton. And she sees Sylvia and Proteus riding horses next to each other. And they seem happy. (gasps) And Proteus doesn't even notice her when she waves. Well, and the thing is, Julia hears gossip. Because this is Canton, which means that it's a small population, so they have nothing better to talk about than the general's daughter. Yeah, and they're just like, I hear that she and Proteus are gonna get married, because they're always together, so that's what I'm betting. And I don't know their cousins, or I do, and I'm okay with it. Back in the day, a lot, like, multiple cultures around the world were just like, and they were cousins. It's like kind of a sexy thing and you're like no it's kind of a no it's not what if you married your cousin so we go to a different location now we're somewhere new there are bandits and i gotta say valentine is so hot i didn't realize how attractive he was until he was a bandit but yeah so he's a bandit now and he's throwing things darts basically rudolph valentino step aside look at this guy's <laughs> short shorts uh, okay i find this weird this little moment it's a very short moment but i find it really weird so valentine's like i'm a bandit now and i have these like sharp dart things that i'm throwing and he's doing target practice where his target is a plum blossom painting mm-hmm. doesn't that make it seem like he's pissed off at sylvia maybe the movie's trying to trick you into thinking he is so I don't know, man. I just found it weird. Another thing that's weird is that the bandit leader is just like, you're the bandit leader now. (laughs) That's what happens in the play, though. No, I know. It makes no sense. (laughs) There is a difference, though, because in the play, it's a bunch of, like, disgraced lords who are just like, yeah, I mean, I guess we're kind of bandits now. Oh, you're the most newly disgraced lord? Yeah, you could be the leader of the disgraced lords. (laughs) Makes no sense. Anyway, he sets up three laws. Do you have the laws, Mike? Yeah. 
One, we aid the poor, relieve the distressed. Okay, two. The weak be helped, villains be suppressed. That sounds very similar to one. (laughs) Number three. Pay the fair sex respect and be blessed. And the bandits for that third rule are like, like, what? And Valentine's like, all right, let's pass around the respect women juice. All right, come on. This guy named Fatty is going to sing us a song instead of us having sex with random women in a silent film. And it's funny because he doesn't sing anything because it's a silent film. (laughs) So Julia's like, Hey, who's that bitch from the horse? So she goes to visit Sylvia. And Sylvia's like, oh my god, you're Valentine's brother? I love... And then Julia's like, don't you finish your sentence, because I know that people on the street say that you're going to marry my fiancé. And Sylvia's like, I was literally about to say I love your brother. But okay. Anyway, I think your fiancé set up Valentine, but I have zero proof of this. We love seeing women openly communicate and resolve issues without conflict. This is the greatest change they could have made to the plot. Because in Two Gents, as I said, Julia follows Proteus. And she becomes Proteus's page and then just acts as a go-between sending love letters from him to Sylvia. And she never speaks to Sylvia about who she really is until the very end when everyone finds out who she is. Makes no sense. I love her being like, hey girl... We got issues. And Sylvia being like, whoa, let's talk. And then they're like allies. And it's so good. It is good. And then knock, knock, knock. It's Proteus. It's Proteus. And she's like, quick, hide behind the Arras while I speak to my son. Oh. She's going to get stabbed, (laughs) Megan. Dead for a ducat. Dead. Anyway, uh, she talks to Proteus and she's like, so do you like anybody? And Proteus is like, no. And she's like, you've never had a fiance named Julia. And he's like, no, that's a weird rumor that people spread as he takes off his ring. (gasps) I swear, if he did the duck thing again here, I would have been absolutely furious. Oh, if she saw him do the duck thing to another woman? Please. We get a little bit of seeing how the military police act under Thurio. And they're terrible people. That's really uh, what it is. They come up on some poor people who are just in an alley, like, selling things. And they're like, oh, we're gonna beat up this guy because he didn't move out of our way fast enough. But then he gets attacked by bandits because he is a shitty guy. Yeah, he gets arrowed! And what's in the little arrow? Rule number one. Whoa. Anyway, the police are like, ah, the guy we were beating up obviously did this somehow from the top of a roof. So we are going to take him away and beat him to death. And that's what Thurio's like, yeah, no, beat him to death. He's a terrible guy. And then another shot. Right in between his fingers. That's a warning shot if I've ever seen one. And it just says, set him free. And Thurio's like, oh, yep, never mind. He's uh, good to go. Set him free. These guys are the worst guards ever. We all saw Valentine just standing outside the door and then an arrow came from that direction. And they're all just like, ah, that arrow appeared from nowhere. No one even tries to follow after him. But anyways, Thurio puts out a thousand dollar bounty to catch the plum flower bandit. That's $18,000 in today's money, man. You know what's cute? What I really like? A little trope I like? When people deface their own wanted poster. (laughs) Yeah, because the bands just kind of cross it out. And then it just like, nah, and draws a little plum flower. (laughs) It's cute. 
Next scene, we cut to Julia and Sylvia making out. I mean, they are so close to each other in this it scene. It is so intimate. Okay, what, what's actually happening is Sylvia is putting on a military uniform on Julia to disguise her. Yes. But, but. there is nothing more intimate than putting clothing on someone else, doing it's, up their buttons. It's more intimate than taking off clothes. So yes! God. Anyway... Proteus comes in again, and then they're like, we're going to go on a ride with Proteus. We're going to confront him about what he did. It's going to be great. And then they go outside, and there's all the other people, and Sylvia's like, no, no, no. Just me and Proteus, and that's it. And Proteus literally licks his lips once again as like, I'm a villain. I'll do something on this ride. And like... It's a weird conversation because they get to another location. They get off the horses, which one is a terrible idea. And then she's just like, so about Valentine. And he's like, oh, yeah, I did that. No lies, no hesitation. He's like, oh, yeah, no, I set him up. He says the quiet part loud. And then she's mad at him, obviously. And then he's like, but I love you. And he tries to force himself on her, which does occur in the play, but happens way later. Not way later, because we're like towards the end, but it's weird. Okay, 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 okay. He tries to force himself on her. Yes. And is interrupted by Thurio, who's like, no, I'll save Sylvia. And then he tries to force himself on Sylvia. I would like to read my notes, Megan. Oh, Thurio may suck, but at least he punched Proteus. That's good. What the hell? Yeah. Because then, then he tries, he tries to assault to her too. Assault her and she bites him, which I'm like, hell yeah, girl, get him. And then he like runs away and gets got by the bandits. Yep. So in the play, what happens is at the end, this occurs without Thurio being a part of it at all. Proteus like tries to assault her right in front of Valentine. And Valentine's like, what are you doing? It's just so strange to me that they put it here specifically so that Thurio could be a savior turned assaulter. Like, I don't get why. I think it makes more sense for Proteus to try it here where he's alone with her than where Shakespeare put it. If you really wanted to save Proteus's character, Megan, you would have Thurio be the guy who does the assault. Yeah. You can throw him to the wolves. You could have Thurio do it and Proteus protect her. If you wanted to, like, completely change, I mean... If you really want to change things up... Here's where I stand, Megan. Yeah. Proteus does the thing and should be treated as such. Yeah. He should get consequences for his actions. So, after that long day, morning, Sylvia goes back to the poems, and she's very sad. And then Valentine Bandit is looking at her, and she just lets her go. I don't get why he doesn't say anything. But then he's like, oh, Sylvia. And she turns around and he like hides, but like not well. And then (laughs) she still doesn't see him. And then he writes a note and throws it at her on one of his pointy things. This is just Tuxedo Mask. He is Tuxedo Mask. I don't believe it. Yeah. But like Tuxedo Mask, you don't see him before he throws the rose. Anyway, I have no idea what his note said, but I assume it's something that says like, It's me. No, it was reminisce that spray of plum blossoms. Yeah. Because that's that's both the title of this scene and also what he writes on the thing, just telling her, remember the spray of plum blossoms. And she just goes, Valentine. It's like she was looking at the poem you guys wrote. Like, obviously (laughs) she was thinking about you. Like, 
two seconds ago. You could just be like, hi, yeah, it's me. That means that they need to go find the bandits. But the bandits find them, I guess. Yeah. Like, so Sylvia and Julia are like, we know where Valentine is. And then the bandits are like, we're taking you to our leader. And they're like, sweet. And then they arrive and it's like, look, it's Valentine. Oh, Sylvia and Valentine reunited. And they run up to each other and hug. And then Fatty's like, hey, hey, you said, you said respect women. women." And he's like, oh, this is my fiance. And Fatty's like, dang it. I've tried to catch you breaking your own rules. And then he hugs Julia. And I really wanted Fatty to like say something and be like, no, you're not engaged to both of them. But he just kind of makes a face, which I'll take. So they have this great plan, Megan. (laughs) They're going to fake tie up the girls and have them for ransom. It's so that they can get Proteus. He's taking over Thurio's post. Yeah. Like, they know that this stuff is going to happen because it's obvious. And as soon as the general is told that Sylvia was kidnapped by the bandits, they know that the person in charge, the superintendent, is going to be sent with the troops. So they're like, cool, so we're going to do this. Proteus will come. We got it. Yeah, and then people start dying because yeah, guns like get fired. Actual <laughs> fighting, and I'm like, uh-oh. And then Proteus is like, Sylvia, I'm here, and I'm grabbing all over you. And the bandits are just like, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. And then finally Valentine steps out and is like, Everyone stop dying. Stop dying! Proteus, you're on candid camera. And Proteus is like, you got me. And he's like, also, here's Julia. And Proteus is like, I'm going to kill myself. (laughs) He puts a gun to his head. And then Valentine throws one of his pointy things at his hand so that he drops the gun. And then he kind of like smiles at him. He starts laughing. He's like, what japes. I want you to understand, I'm always your pal. Is literally what the card said. Megan, what if they just started playing Randy Newman? You got a friend. That's in what me. it feels like, and I hate it. So and bad. And then, like, oh man, he's great. Everything's fine. Look, it's Julia. Oh, my love. We're all good. The general shows up, and Valentine's like, I'm Valentine. And General's like, I'm going to kill you. And then Proteus is like, wait, wait, wait. Wait, wait, wait. No, I, I, it's, it was a ruse. I lied. And And then that general's like, okay. Oh, okay. I guess that's not a problem. And then Valentine's like, hold up. An important plot point. Make the bandits part of your military. And they're like, of course. They're good men. They're nationalists. It makes a lot more sense in the play where it's like, hi, Duke. Can you unexile these lords? And he goes, yeah, sure. Then Fatty wears a uniform. And in the end, they just kind of like, ride off screen and the movie ends and it's just like the end to be fair that's really how two gents ends because yeah. it's the duke comes up and is like i feel like i've missed a lot and valentine goes boy have i got a story for you as they exit the stage <laughs> that is the weakest ending i've ever heard of and this film also did that. And that's the end. How does it stand up as an adaptation, Ryan? So I feel like they actually did a fairly good job. They like they made some changes, but they contextualized it to something that mattered to the modern day viewers. I think what we brought up before with 
making Julia and Valentine siblings was solely so that it makes sense why Julia doesn't love Valentine, the clearly better person. And making Proteus and Sylvia cousins is gross, and I don't know why they did it. Yeah, I don't know. Except so that maybe people would be like, well, they shouldn't be together. You're right. You're right. He's very wrong for this. But I don't know. I really like, though, the fact that, as we said, they have Sylvia and Julia team up instead of Great. this boring page page shit. stuff. Like, ugh. No, that's so better. I, I'm very... I'm yeah. gonna be honest. This film was really boring because it's so slow and also because Two Chance is a bad play. <laughs> but if you watch it at 1.5 speed... It's pretty okay. It's fine. It's one of the only two gents I've ever heard of existing on film. And now, Megan, we never have to do a two gents ever again on Avant Bar. Mark it off the list. Oh, also, Roger Ebert definitely didn't review this film. He was alive, though. Wait, no, he wasn't. Uh, he would not be born for another 11 years. Okay, so no, he didn't review this when it came out. You know who was alive? And saw this film and told me what he said when he saw it. Better not be William Shakespeare, because that's a lie. Okay, that is a lie. But do you know what I think William Shakespeare would say if he saw it? Yes. Neat and fine. But were I you, it never should be mine. (laughs) Neat and fine. Neat and fine. Megan, I'm going to start calling things neat and fine. (laughs) Neat and fine. So, Marquez? MVP? MVP. My MVP goes to Valentine. My MVP is also Valentine. He was really attractive. <laughs> he looked good in those. He looked good as a bandit. Yeah. And I, I believed him. I think the character is flawed in forgiving Proteus, but I don't know. He's the Rudolph Valentino of China. How could we not give him How MVP? How could we not? I mean, we're not giving one to the Greta Garbo of China. That seems pretty sexist. Hey, Megan. What would you rate a spray of plum blossoms? I would rate it two people who should not be together at the end out of the four times the motion blur in this film absolutely terrified me. His hands, his clapping hands, his face, his smile. Clapping is terrifying in old films with motion blur. If anyone hasn't seen one, this is your warning. Anyway, Marquez, what would you rate a spray of plum blossoms? I would rate this film two attempted jumps Thurio made over a fence over the three Plum Blossom Bandit rules. Or the three times that Proteus made a duck out of his hand. That's the film. That's our thoughts. So that's going to do it for us here on Avant Bard. If you like what you heard, you can follow us on all social media at Avant Bard Pod. And if you really liked what you heard, you can support us financially at patreon.com slash avantbardpod. Bloopers for this episode will be posted on Patreon next week. But until then, we will see you anon. Avant Bard is created by Matthew James Marquez and Megan Charlow. To support the show, visit patreon.com slash avantbardpod. We would like to thank Riley Allen for the creation of our theme music, Cloverkin for our logo artwork, and everyone in the audience for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Avant Bard, you can visit us on all social media platforms at Avant Bard Pod.
I held up a card that said Anon. 